You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. When the PM Morrison stood at the podium of his weekly press conference last week denouncing the Maritime Union of Australia as a militant union holding the country to ransom at Port Botany in Sydney because of an EBA dispute with Patrick's. He was reading off a point sheet supplied by Patrick's which claimed 40 ships were being held up and medical supplies were being kept from needy patients. Neither was true, but you could ask yourself, when did our present Prime Minister let the facts get in the way of a good story, especially as the destruction of industrial relations protection for workers are in his government's sights? Not a COVID necessity, but an agenda that preceded COVID. We talked to Paul Garrett, Assistant Secretary of the Sydney branch of the Maritime Union of Australia, for what is really happening without the political spin. Many things have been put off by COVID. For the Westgate Bridge Memorial Committee, it means that the 50th year anniversary of the worst workplace construction disaster in Australia's history will have to be deferred to next year. I spoke to Danny Gardner from the committee for a reminder of the event that saw the Westgate Bridge collapse, killing over 30 workers in Melbourne, October the 15th, 1970. But first... Some union news. The Tamil Refugee Council is concerned by media reporting that MPs are considering a proposal to make a path to residency for refugees dependent on them labouring in the agricultural industry, a sector that in recent years has been plagued by reports of abuse and underpayment. The proposal is that 17,000 temporary protection visa holders are used to fill areas of critical labour shortages while international borders remain closed in exchange for a concrete path to permanent protection and residency. The Tamil Refugee Council maintains that a refugee's rights to protection is just that, a right. It is not something to be earned or bought. It is independent of a person's capacity to fill a labour shortage. It has also been mooted that university students could reduce their hex debt if they become fruit pickers and that people on JobSeeker could keep their full JobSeeker entitlements and work as fruit pickers under the same scheme subsidising farmers. The Transport Workers Union, the TWU, has accused Qantas of complete disregard for its workers and using the COVID-19 pandemic as a cover to implement its aims to expand the casualisation of work. In June, 6,000 jobs went through redundancy. Last month, it was announced that another 2,500 will be outsourced from baggage handlers, cabin crew and engineers. Now they are saying the number of jobs to be outsourced is going to be bigger than what had been announced. The union had previously raised concerns about the safety record and conditions of workers at Swissport, front-runner to be contracted by the airline. 
Some of the existing workers could be re-employed, most will not be taken back, and even if they are, only by agreeing to forego existing employment conditions. Qantas is betting on being given the green light by Fair Work Australia, accepting the pandemic as a good enough justification. This makes what is going on in Qantas a test case and other employers are looking to see the result. The last time this was tried on a major scale was during the 1998 Patrick Stevedore's waterfront battle to get rid of the unionised workforce. The case is likely to go to court in the short term. Beyond this, it could become a rallying cry towards another waterfront-like showdown. You are listening to Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Last week, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, announced at one of his pre-budget press conferences that the dispute at Port Butney, Sydney, caused by Patrick's refusal to negotiate a new EBA, was a national emergency, with the Maritime Union of Australia holding the country to ransom during the pandemic. Once again, he used the words that workers making demands were lucky to have jobs. He said 40 ships were stalled waiting at sea and urgent medical supplies were being held up by a militant union for its own selfish ends. He would call in the army if necessary. As the days passed, it is reported that Patrick Boss admits that they had not been contracted by any medical supplier seeking access to Australian ports and that the Maritime Union of Australia had repeatedly offered to unload any urgent medical supplies if needed. The 40 ships turned out to be four, and actually it was business as usual. Well, not quite. During COVID, Patrick Terminal received $19 million in JobKeeper and its executives were paid $10 million in bonuses. The Morrison government's announcement it will support the company's bid to terminate industrial action in the Fair Work Commission, which heard the case in Sydney on Wednesday and Thursday, should tell Australian workers that the anti-union, anti-worker stance of the LNB government is actually business as usual for the government and not a state of national emergency at all. I spoke to Paul Garrett, Assistant Secretary of the Sydney branch of the MUA on Friday after he'd been at the Fair Work Commission. It is. Well, we're in the EBA negotiations. We had an enterprise agreement that expired nominally back on the 30th of June of this year, and that was a four-year agreement. We commenced CA negotiations uh, before COVID started, and obviously COVID took effect, which slowed down the whole process. In that time, um, Patrick's had come back with a document after the nominal expiry date, basically seeking to strip away some 50 pages and absolutely gut the conditions of waterside workers not only Sydney, but all, all the way around the country. Um, we have been through a process of negotiations which weren't going anywhere and made a decision to uh, take out a protected action ballot order and ultimately embark in what has been very mild and very uh, vanilla industrial action. Now, you've been to the uh, Fair Work Commission today. What was the outcome of uh, that, those proceedings? We're in the Fair Work Commission for two days. Um, in Going to the Fair Work Commission, we had two battles. One was the legal battle and one was the lies that were being told to the community, uh, particularly by the Prime Minister um, and senior management from Patrick's, essentially saying a whole host of mistruths about national economic harm. Patrick's took us to the Commission uh, asserting there was a national economic harm and blaming the workers for failures in their computer systems and other failures of management. 
After two days of negotiations and trying to resolve the enterprise agreement, Patrick's put on the table what was a very paltry uh, and ministerial offer, but also put on the table uh, gross casualisation um, and excessively put on casuals in the workplace, which has secure and stable employment uh, as an offset to a wage increase. Uh, that obviously fell through. Workers didn't want to sacrifice their jobs um, for a wage increase, understandably. Um, those discussions have failed, and uh, it appears at this point we'll be going back for further arbitration later in October. Now, this thing with the Prime Minister, I watched the Prime Minister stand up and say that uh, the MUA is a militant union holding the uh, country to ransom, uh, and apparently he was uh, using the uh, cheat sheet that uh, Patrick's, the company, gave him to, to speak. This is part of a whole gambit of uh, changing industrial relations law that uh, the Liberals have got on the table, isn't it? Well, it is, and it wasn't lost to us when all these media stories started breaking. We noticed the political reporters in Canberra were the ones who were writing the stories, and there's no doubt that a lot of the beat-up coming out of... uh, some of the senior federal ministers, including probably the Prime Minister, his comment about extortion and ransom um, was ill-informed. And he owes workers an apology, and he certainly owes all workers an apology. There was never any extortion there. He's another one who come out and said, there's 40 ships off the coast and we're holding up ships. No one can find these ships. He's lied to the public, um, very clearly lied by saying there was all these ships off the coast that's being held up. And as for extortion, it's not extortion. Asking your management to get to the table and have a negotiation is an extortion. Saying to your management, no, we don't want to forego permanent jobs and have absolutely no security in uh, rostering is an extortion. It's a statement of fact. I mean, where he hasn't called out Patrick's, it's just a unilateral attack that they've put on the workforce. He's been an average prime minister thus far and nothing's changed with his comments this week. Now, the other thing is that the MUA and the workers on the walls have been... uh, uh, very diligent during the COVID uh, outbreak, uh, particularly over OH&S for their workers, as well as uh, making sure that uh, the supply chains continue. Can you talk to that? Well, absolutely. uh, We had two major events this year. One was the bushfire smoke uh, that was over Sydney, and the other one was obviously COVID, which affected wharfies all around Australia. The members didn't stop. They worked hard through not only the bushfire smoke, but then the uh, COVID situation. And they went to management and asked for uh, COVID safe plans and work plans well in advance of governments making it a mandatory requirement. Patrick's responded by calling police on the NUA when going out and supporting the members and asserting those plans. But at the end of the day, the delegates and the members and the site committees worked hard and got through it, and they've kept the economy going. They didn't stop during COVID, and the most disappointing thing when their integrity is attacked is a lot of those attacks come from managers who are working from home, allegedly, or governments that weren't sitting in Canberra when they were supposed to be. Whilst they weren't at work, our members were, and, you know, they're pretty disappointed about those ongoing attacks, but they kept the economy moving during COVID and should be commended and not ostracised. There's a very uh, disturbing uh, push maybe not new, but a very disturbing push to ensure that workers aren't at the table when it comes to industrial relations. Is that your reading of it? Oh, this week it definitely was. And the uh, use of this uh, application this week, uh, the 424 application, 
is the same one that Qantas used when they grounded the airlines back in 2012. And what the intent was is to put in an application, which we say is baseless and we'll defend it. Um, and then once they get in the commission, trying to use that opportunity to virtually wedge the union into agreeing to uh, outcome without having the opportunity to go back to workers. And it was wrong. The attack was wrong. We're a member-driven union. We're a rank-and-file union. And we expect the members um, to have a say in their enterprise agreement. They have to work under it. This attempt by Patrick's to undermine that process is, quite frankly, um, the Fair Work Act doesn't back workers, but I'll tell you what, this was absolutely against even the spirit of that legislation. It's just been done to bastardise negotiations by a management team that weren't prepared to negotiate in the first instance. So just to make it clear, Patrick's wants to gut the industry, make it casual and to freeze wages. Is that what's really behind this? We say yes. So the uh, proposals that they've put forward on the table um, have a lot more overtime and shift penalties in there, which seem to be unpaid. They've put proposals on the table which would see the guarantee for workers um, and their salary dropped down some $55,000 over the course of the year and then made up maybe, um, and certainly take away any um, security and rostering. And one of the biggest attacks, which is a non-monetary cost, to use those terms, was consultation. Um, consultation costs nothing but your time. And it's an important part of the industry that workers have a say in their own destiny and what happens. And Patrick's have taken uh, uh, this opportunity to try and strip that away for workers. And that's just one of the conditions that we're standing up for. So the fight to uh, just be heard is now on with Patrick seeking to remove that condition, a well-fought condition over the years. Now, Patrick's is a national company and the MUA is a national union. So uh, this affects the entire country, doesn't it? All of your port, all the ports. It does. Patrick's has uh, um, ports in Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney and Fremantle. Um, And certainly Port Botany here in Sydney is one of the larger operators of the Patrick's, but there has an impact all around the country. But this isn't just an attack on Wolfies, it's an attack on all workers. This attack's about taking away the right to strike. And as we've seen this week, Patrick's, you know, putting this application on wasn't just about attacking Wolfies nationally. It's about falling in line with the other uh, shipping companies and Wolfie companies and, frankly, a number of companies that are now saying it's causing national economic harm uh, to take industrial action. It's an attack on all workers everywhere and the attempts by Patrick's now to bring in economists to try and argue national economic harm are just false. So, yes, they operate around the country, but we think they might be uh, a battering ram for else in the industry or indeed in government. So the Prime Minister has shown his, his colours. He's only interested in the business class. Well, that's right. And when COVID went down, he'd done that big song and dance with National Cabinet. If you remember, he uh, collapsed COAG and put in the National Cabinet, which was going to be focused on jobs, jobs and more jobs and you know, how good is Australia and all that jazz? Um, at the end of the day, there's an opportunity here to stand up for jobs and for workers. He made a decision to come out in support of Patrick's without knowing the facts or even getting his mind as reaching out to the union seeking the other side of the story. Um, it was an absolute attack on workers there and it's an attack on jobs and absolutely has uh, lined up with the business class, the ruling class, hasn't had the opportunity or time or integrity or fortitude to speak to the workers. And... For a Prime Minister who goes out and show dates about jobs, 
might be time for Steve to stand up and start speaking for the workers, but we all know with Scott Morrison that's something he'll never do. Well, he doesn't like to uh, get the facts in the way of a good story. And uh, the business about uh, accusing the MUA in Botany of uh, stopping medical supplies is the second time that this has been used. Uh, Down in Victoria, they used it in the VICT um, dispute, and it was a complete lie. And that's, that's one of the, again, what do you expect from a pig but a grunt? Um, but it is disappointing, and Warfies get upset when they hear this nonsense or their families get to hear this nonsense, because when we notified of industrial action, we actually wrote through on the 2nd of September um, through to Patrick's and said, if you have any boxes or medical supplies, let us know. Um, we'll move those boxes. We're not stopping it. Warfies have families, um, sons, daughters, you know, they, they, They've got families they want to get the medical supplies to when they're in times of need. And the delegates this week repeatedly ask, I know I've asked, um, where are these boxes? Where are these boxes? If there's all these containers with medical supplies, let's identify them. Let's get them out and get them moving. Now, there was no boxes on the walls. And this is one of the things that have been lost in the media, in the mainstream media, that there were just no boxes. And finally, last night, after four days of calling for them, Patrick's identified a container in Port Botany. But that uh, container wasn't on a wharf or locked into some area that hadn't been touched. It was on a ship that was still at sea that hadn't even come into Port Botany and was not overdue or running late. It was on time. Um, now, upon learning of that yesterday afternoon, the first thing the MUA uh, side committee did is what they said they'd always do and made arrangements to get that off and... No sooner did that ship get alongside the wharf, the truck was brought down to the wharf, the box was landed on the ship, and that container was back out with the medical supplies. Urgent medical supplies, though, come into Australia via area. There's just a lot of mistruths in all of this. The the other thing is, uh, do any of your members react to the knowledge that uh, uh, there's a a negative towards uh, workers' uh, decent pay and conditions, while during COVID uh, it's been reported that some companies receiving JobKeeper paid their uh, executives bonuses out of the JobKeeper uh, pool. Do, do, has that registered with your people? Oh, look, the, the question on uh, wages paid and bonuses paid is all point for a lot of workers. Firstly, the, the telephone numbers that have been reported in the media this week just aren't true. And you've got to look at the uh, CEO, Michael Dovacy, um, a man who's been paid significant bonus well in the tens of thousands, we understand, if not more, in the last four weeks. Indeed, all Patrick's senior management got big bonuses. Um, and they, Patrick's are owned by a company, Cube or Pardone, which also received uh, millions upon millions in JobKeeper payments and despite re- receiving those millions, still paid out bonuses. And this is the disappointing thing about the wages, that if they're worried about the wages of the workers and being overpaid, why are they themselves, when they're on telephone number wages, receiving bonuses? It's inconsistent. And then there's been some of the uh, right-wing shock jocks. I've done a few uh, radio interviews this week with some of those... Uh, interesting characters who've attacked um, workers' pay. I mean, one of them last year went from $2.3 million a year up to $4 million, a 74% increase, and was worried about workers getting an increase. And then comparing to nurses and other frontline workers. And we all know that workers are entitled to a hell of a lot more than what they're currently getting. 
and then trying to pick worker against worker, well, it's just a disgrace. There should be real wage increases if the government's serious and if these companies are serious. We just know they're not. Look, I suppose the one thing that has stood out to all Wharfies is the fact that there's been support from so many workers around Australia, so many unions and uh, just workers have reached out to different Wharfies. They know we'll post it online or in social media and uh, saying that they stand with the MUA and support workers. We've got to stand up and uh, lead the way and not follow. We just can't, uh, uh, you know, the line that's been said that just because uh, there's COVID, we should be thankful that we've got a job. No worker should be thankful that they've got a job. Everyone should have a job. Um, and people are entitled to dignified jobs, not casual ones either, permanent jobs, with decent rates of pay. And that's not too much to ask for. So a lot of Wharfies have caught a lot of heat this week unfairly, but they've also had a lot of support from the community and from working people, and I know that's been well appreciated by every waterside worker in Australia. You are listening to Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. It is the 50th anniversary of the Westgate Bridge collapse, the worst industrial disaster of its sort in Australian history. 35 workers died and this year's memorial, an important one, has been put on hold till next year because of COVID. I spoke with Danny Gardner from the Westgate Memorial Committee on why it is so important to remember and what is in store next year. Because it was the 50th anniversary, we had we were going to do a normal ceremony under the Westgate. We had uh, two uh, speakers this year. We had uh, David Setka, who is uh, John Setka's son, and Bob Setka's grandson, who, who survived the collapse, Bob. And we also had James Webster, who was a grandson of Victor Gerrada, who got killed in the collapse. So we, we were going to organise that underneath the Westgate. And then what we're doing, we're going to organise down at Sea uh, Works in Williamstown, that we were organising an event for probably about six or 700 people. And because of COVID and because of restrictions, we we're in a position where we've had to postpone this year's anniversary and we're going to run all those uh, ceremony next year. So unfortunately, we, we have got nothing officially planned underneath the bridge uh, because one of the things we want to make certain is that that uh, that we want to make sure that that, that gets the proper respect that it need, that it's going to get and I don't think we can do it if we did something officially it, it, it just wouldn't work look I, I started on the rebuild the rebuild started after the Royal Commission that was held into the collapse and that started in uh, 72 the rebuild started in 1972 and unfortunately uh, another rigger uh, Joe Owens was killed in 1972 in December in a in a, a, a crane accident and he came down and, and he, he, he was killed. So when we talk about the Westgate Bridge, 36 men lost their lives building the bridge. And uh, when I started, uh, the, the job the job was um, getting really uh, fairly large. Uh, both sides of the river, there was work being done on both sides of the river. There was probably around about six or 700 people working on, on the job at that time. Uh, very, very politicised. It politicised a lot of people. And uh, health and safety was an absolute uh, top of the list. And uh, you know, we had good union officials. We had very, very good uh, uh, site delegates and shop stewards. Uh, the job was the camaraderie, camaraderie of the men on the job were, 
was second to none, probably the best construction job that I ever worked on. And uh, and it, it made sure that we worked safe and we wanted to make sure that when the job was actually finished that we would continue on with the uh, with the memory of the men who lost their lives on the bridge, but also making it aware that to other construction workers and all workers that you go to work to uh, uh, work safe and you go home in one piece at the end of the day, which unfortunately in building the bridge, 36 men didn't. It, it's it's one of the uh, big deals, isn't it? That I mean, this was the biggest industrial di- uh, disaster of its sort yep. in Australia, and That's um, yes, and it's 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 a long time ago for some people, but it's also a long time ago in terms of uh, workers understanding yep. uh, how uh, it's not a safe thing to just leave the, all decisions about their safety on no. the job to the bosses? A hundred percent. If someone feels that I'm working on a job, on, on, a, on any job, that what you're being asked to do is unsafe, you challenge it. Because if you don't challenge it, it could be the end of your life. And I think uh, that's one of the things that, that came through uh, working on the Westgate. And, and actually working on the Westgate, as I said, it politicised a lot of people. And coming through the Westgate, there would have been about 10 or 12 maybe more, people who uh, went on to become uh, significant in the union movement, both as union officials and senior union officials. But you're right about saying that uh, if something needs to be challenged, it has to be challenged. You can't go to, you can't turn a blind eye if something is blatantly unsafe and you're going to work, and, and not only could kill somebody, you could kill yourself as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, just not right. You've got to challenge these things. It's fairly important for working working people to actually own their own history, isn't it? Yeah, oh, 100%. The story of the plaque was that everybody who was working on the bridge when it started to be rebuilt put in a day's pay to get the plaque that's on the pier that, that, that came down. And the plaque, the, the big main plaque with all the names and their classifications was paid for by workers on the job. Uh, as far as the uh, the park is concerned, in 2000, uh, there was government assistance in, in building that uh, park. Uh, Steve Brax was the Premier at the time and also a member of, uh, for Williamstown. Uh, him, he was part of um, discussions and there was a, a group was put together about the 35 columns that have been uh, erected and the park was cleaned up. There's a fair bit of work going on down there at Westgate at the moment and but once that's finished, the park will be brought back to its uh, original uh, way that it was. The 35 columns uh, is, uh, is for each of the mem- each of the work people who were killed, and uh, none of them numbered. None of the columns are numbered, and there's no names on them. And the reason for that was the last one of the columns is, is as important as the first one. That's it for Stick Together this week. Before we go, a quick word about a special 3CR broadcast, Westgate Bridge Disaster 50 Years On, Thursday 15th of October at 2pm. More information and audio links will be available after the broadcast on www.3cr.org.au forward slash Westgate Bridge. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3CR or iTunes or Spotify and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com 
My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.